This podcast is brought to you by flix.com.au, Australia's number one movie and cinema site. Welcome to The Take, The Mandalorian, a podcast after show discussing everything about the first live-action Star Wars series, The Mandalorian, which is exclusive to Disney+. Plus. I am your host, Lindsay Romaine of Nerdist, and I am joined today by my co-host. Hi, I'm Blake Howard, uh, host of the original take on flicks.com.au, a columnist at Dark Horizons and the producer of One Heat Minute Productions. Yeah, well, thank you. Like, it's so exciting to be back again for a second week. And uh, The Mandalorian just keeps getting more and more interesting. Uh, this episode was only 32 minutes long, which was a nice nice little surprise. I woke up early again to watch it this week and uh, saw, you know, the, the timestamp. And I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> you know, uh, and I, I feel like it's really indicative of, like, what this show is doing, which is it's not really, like, sticking to any format or, or trying to, like, I feel like in the era of like prestige television, we're really used to these like hour long, solid hour long episodes. And I like that the Mandalorian's just kind of doing what it has to do with whatever time it wants to do it with. Uh, so yeah, this episode was like a really nice brisk kind of little adventure. What did you think about it, Blake? Look, it's so funny, Lizzie. We just, before we kicked off recording said, we might start doing a show that is longer than the show is that we're talking about, which is, is which is kind of fun and weird. And yeah, look, I, I like not, it sort of hasn't really happened that a show doesn't stick to like a classic TV hour. Like it's been a really long time. And, and, and I think some shows have kind of done close things, you know, 35 minutes, 42, they're sort of trying to find the happy medium, but the amount of time that this section, this chapter, as we're coming to know the Mandalorian series needed was only 32 minutes and it just flew by. It was a great little, bridging episode that like fleshes out a whole bunch of ideas. You think sometimes in shows after the kind of reveal that we had in chapter one, the first episode we were talking, I was like, Oh, are they just going to bury that and go to some B plot and make us agonize over what the hell's going on. And instead you just know this is called the Mandalorian and we're going to stay right here with Pedro Pascal and his new, uh, and his new, uh, uh, you know, his new babysitting job. And we're going to just sort of, uh, we're going to check out what's going to go on and he's going to have to make his way back to his ship and go there. And, and he has some obstacles. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It just, I like that this episode too, it's starting to show what the show I think is going to become, which is almost anthology, anthology like, if that makes sense. Like there's, it feels like there's going to be these separate little adventures each week, you know, obviously with the through line of this new little baby Yoda character that the Mandalorian is carting around with him. So that's kind of the thing connecting the tissue. But like, yeah, it feels like each week we'll probably have one of these little, not little, you know, one of these adventure (laughs) type stories. Uh, And yeah, that's really exciting to me. I think like, again, the reveal of the baby Yoda changes. I think everything that we really maybe anticipated the show being and now seeing how that works and and how it's coming together. It's just, it's made me even more excited. And I really love this episode. I think I love this episode a lot more even than the first one, which I enjoyed a lot, but uh, this one just felt, yeah, very strong and very much like it, I've seen people compare it to like the, you know, the clone wars and stuff, these kind of bite sized little stories. And um, I think 
yeah, I think that, I don't know that that's the best comparison, but it definitely, it's just, it feels like the show has, like, knows what it's doing. You know what I mean? Like, there's a confidence to the storytelling that really, I think, revealed itself this week. Big confidence. And I think the, I think that's a nice compliment to the very best episodes of The Clone Wars, but in my mind, The Clone Wars, if there was one thing that sort of the long series didn't, didn't have was, um, was the consistency of something like rebels. Like if, if you watch, Re- yeah. if you watch rebels versus clone wars, like pound for pound, almost every single episode of the rebels series is just insanely great. Like, and I think that that's a, that's a credit to Filoni just being better at doing it and also not being as wedded to characters that we know and, and the law that we know and sort of being able to flesh things out. I think that's what the Mandalorian's got, but I mean, look, last week we were talking the big twist of the final, you know, the finale twist, the, the Lindsay Romain, I am your father surprise of the week last week was that we had a baby Yoda something and we were calling it baby Yoda and a lot of people there. And I think we missed something pretty glaring. So I just want to shout it out for us now. Like it's Dave Filoni directing. It's a Yoda clone. Like we just missed that. I don't, I went back and listened to the episode to make sure we didn't say those words, but it is definitely a clone of Yoda. And I think as we discussed this episode and the ins and outs of the whole episode this week, we can most definitely go, yes, it's a Yoda clone. It's, it, 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 it it's unmistakably Yoda. And so we just have now to contend with this for the rest of the series. And then the series we thought was just going to be gunslinging and, and Sergio Leone sort of uh, in the Star Wars universe um, has so, so, so delightfully um, expanded itself into the, into the force wielders world and, uh, and all that sort of stuff. But look, it's, it's a great crew this week. Obviously John Favreau is back as the writer, Pedro Pascal, Nick Nolte is back as the Ugnaught. I have spoken. Um, he's a great thing. We've got some Trend Ocean bounty hunters, some Bosks hanging around, but uh, the real stars um, of uh, of this week uh, f- are a sand crawler and a whole mess of meddling Jawas. And uh, and Rick Famuyiwa, who directed Dope and has been attached to Flash projects and bouncing in and out of that, um, is is the main man here directing, and uh, he he gets to have a lot of fun with, um, you know, doing, I think what all star Wars fans wish they could do. Who've ever played a star Wars video game, which is blow away Jawas. Um, so I think that that's a, a really, um, a cool crew to kick off. Yeah. So the episode, it opens with, uh, with really just kind of continuing this, this Western feel where it's the, the Mandalorian and the baby kind of following after him in this weird little floating cradle that comes with him. And we, we see the baby kind of spot these little lizard characters, which were so cute. And, you know, we see him kind of take an interest to them, which pays off later on. <laughs> and yeah, they're immediately, <laughs> they're immediately attacked by these two Trandoshan bounty hunters uh, who we, you know, the Mandalorian takes them down pretty quickly uh, and sees that they also have the trackers. So they're also after Baby Yoda. So that kind of goes back to something that we heard Nick Nolte's character say last week, which was that, you know, many have have come for this creature. Uh, So, yeah, I'm really interested to know how many people (laughs) were sent after that. Like how many different. It doesn't seem like uh, uh, the the client being Werner Herzog. Um, was short of cash um, or short of imperial <laughs> credits. So yeah, if it feels like there was a lot, like even if we can learn anything from that bridge that we talked about last week in the empire strikes back with Darth Vader, he sent out like six bounty hunters in one um, for one ship, mm-hmm. as well as an entire like Imperial Navy of, of star destroyers. So <laughs> I think, right. I think they're pretty keen to just do whatever they absolutely can to, to, 
you know, to, to get this thing, to get this thing back by the sounds of things. Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious if anyone else has sent out, like if there's multiple people that are aware of this creature and they're all kind of coming together because IG 11's orders last week sounded a little bit different than the orders that the client gave the Mandalorian. So I wonder if it's multiple people seeking this thing or, if you know, just they different people got different orders from the same guy. So that'll be really interesting. Um, yeah. And obviously, once again, we see some, some transitions, which is always exciting. Like we said last week, Very there good. are kind of, yeah, there are kind of favorite favorite of the bounty hunter lot uh they look like dinosaurs and they're really badass uh (laughs) and uh yeah and something else that happens kind of at the beginning is that uh the mandalorian is injured he gets kind of a cut on his arm uh which is kind of the focus of the the next scene where we see little baby yoda kind of taking a an interest in this cut (laughs) which creates this really great comedy moment sort of of the baby continuously getting out of his cradle and kind of walking up and looking almost like he's going to try to heal him. I don't know exactly what, if he was just curious or if, you know, as revealed a little bit later that he, he might have some, some special help <laughs> on his hands. So, uh, yeah. What did you think of this? Scene? I, <laughs> I thought I, it was really adorable. I, firstly, I loved it. Secondly, as a dad of two little ones, I was insanely jealous of a floating cradle that I could have attached to like a wrist <laughs> gauntlet on my arm, like right. that I could program so that it followed me as I was just doing things. And I knew that it would always be behind me. Um, the, the Yoda like baby interplay is like, I never thought that I would say those words like, Oh, the baby Yoda was adorable. Cause literally it's freaking adorable. Like there's a huge cuteness factor here um, that's going along. And, and what's great about Pascal's sort of like the way that he turns his head and punctuates with his gestures and just even the way that he plonks the baby Yoda back in the cradle. It's just so like, come on, man, like sort yourself out. Stop it. Like you can't get out of this cradle anymore. We're on a dangerous planet here. Um, So I thought it was really cute. Very interested about his look at the wound. It's just like, yeah, I think, you know, uh, there was a lot of questions that I think Lindsay, you and I even talked about it when we were even talking about this show before, before it started, which is how is the Mandalorian and especially the launch of the Mandalorian in the context of the upcoming, the rise of Skywalker, how is it going to add to the universe or is it just going to simply be something else? Is it just simply going to be something else that is completely isolated from it? And I think with Yoda clone baby and these interesting factors that are starting to see him engage with the force as he's doing this and seeing healing factors and, and, and starting to broaden the concept of like, there's maybe some, far ends of the force or the power of the force for these huge like totemic you know figures who can wield it um that we just don't even know what the power would be so that's the like the allure of palpatine is that it was kind of teased um you know even even if it was shot absolutely terribly in a great opera scene between anakin and um (laughs) and uh and and, well at at that time chancellor palpatine um, and, and you're watching these guys together bounce off of one another, um, and talk about the very limits of their understanding of what the force can do. So I think that that's been what was, you know, one of my favorite things about last Jedi. And one of my favorite things about this episode is like, even though the Mandalorian and Ugnaught, um, they kind of have no clue what the hell this baby is, what the hell it's doing. Um, you know, I, I love that 
we as the audience, if you're engaged in it, you can totally be like those characters if you're not a huge Star Wars fan and like be riding this journey of surprises as you go through. But if you're a Star Wars nut like you and me, you're just like, oh my God, can the force like heal wounds like that? Like you're just sitting, like you go back and watch the scene five times again. Um, and in a 30 minute show, it's very easy to do. So yeah, no, I, I loved it. Firstly for psych gags, Rick, Rick Famer, you were psych gags. Great. Secondly, for all of that other stuff that we, we were talking about as this show is starting to bring into the, uh, into the world. Yeah, and this is our first real kind of inkling maybe that this baby even has the force. Obviously, we didn't get enough time with him last week for that to be established. And we kind of discussed that, like, yeah, the, the Yodas that we've seen, Yoda and Yaddle, the only other creatures <laughs> that we've seen so far of the species, are both force-sensitive. So I don't know if I'm as convinced as you are that this is a clone of Yoda, although I think that's definitely a, a huge possibility and, and very likely, given, uh, I think a lot of fans pointed out last week also that Dr. Pershing, the the character that's kind of flanking um, the client, Werner Herzog's client has a patch on his uh, like arm or his kind of suit that he's wearing. That's a Camino cloning patch. So uh. he's definitely, yeah, he's got, it's the same patch that the, the Camino tra- like trainees were wearing in uh, attack of the clone. So he's definitely got some affiliation with, with cloning, whether or not he wants to clone the baby or the baby is a clone who knows, but yeah, there's a lot, <laughs> a lot of interesting stuff going on there. A lot of interesting possibilities. I agree that like, just seeing, I think in Legends, there's a lot of stuff about force healing, but I don't think we've actually seen it in the new canon at all. So uh, it, I definitely think that that's what, what little baby Yoda was, was up to, <laughs> was, was maybe that he was going to try to use his, his powers. And it's interesting, too, because since he's a baby, um, it feels like the force is almost more instinctual to him. Obviously, we can get into that more, but it's not sort of this this planned out like thing that I feel like we see other, you know, people having to channel it. It feels very pure with him. And uh, I think that's, he's not not thinking about it. That's the cool thing where you get and where you get the rays and even the Anakin's is like, you know, in the pod racing, it's like, they're not thinking about what this access to this, additional layer of perspective and view or time shifting in their mind. Like it's just, it's happening. Um, it's, yeah. it's, it, and that's, that's really cool. But then we get on, we talked a lot last week and I can't wait to talk about the same with you. We, we talked a lot about the wonderful razor crest, this beautiful ship. Yeah. And the next scene <laughs> was kind of devastating. <laughs> it's getting just completely ripped apart. by <laughs> Freaking jealous. I know. And, and I never thought that the jowls, I, th- I knew the jowls are scavengers. Like, obviously we know this is like yeah. canon that one of the most essential things, probably one of the things we learned about the Star Wars universe in the first 30 minutes of the first Star Wars movie that was ever made is that jowls are scavengers. But I never realized that they would like strip a ship completely dry and just like <laughs> throw it into a sand crawler. What, a, like what, a, like, the one thing I can give credit to the Mandalorian, it's like there is, Things that it's doing in the first episode, like this reclamation moment, but there's nothing more Star Wars, Star Wars than Jawas and chasing Jawas, like in a sand crawler. <laughs> it feels like the best Star Wars chase that we never knew that we ever wanted. Yeah, absolutely. It feels like I know we were making the comparison between the cartoons, but I do think like the best thing that you can compare this episode to is a video game because it does yes. feel like he's like yeah attached onto this you know the mandalorian immediately kind of jumps on the the sand crawler as it's going away with his ship parts and it feels very kind of actiony in like a very video game type way yes 
and Jawas have had yeah. an upgrade. Jawas are not, they look very slick, these Jawas. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's one of the, you know, obviously the benefits of like better technology and stuff, but I do like that they still feel recognizably like kind of, I don't know what the right word is, like puppety. <laughs> they, yes. they feel, I don't think that they're actual puppets, but you know, they, they have that sort of tactile feel. They don't look like little CGI creatures, which I really appreciate. Uh, it helps make everything feel a little bit more legit and a lot more like original trilogy, which is the era that this movie is the closest to, or this yes. show rather is the closest to. So yeah, yeah, yeah. They definitely look good. I also like, I, I don't know if I ever really thought about the fact, you know, the Mandalorian, I think later refers to the, the sand crawler as like a fortress. And I never really thought about the fact that it's basically like, you know, on top of being where the Jawas work and store all their stuff, it's also probably where they like live in little apartments. Yes. <laughs> they just like live in this traveling little thing. And I just, I really want to like get in there and explore a sand crawler now, especially after this episode. <laughs> I've never, seen, I've never seen it in an incredible cross sections like the full apartment layout. I'm gonna go back and have to have a look at it. But the thing I like, as soon as you said that, I was just like, "There's a mad about you happening in that sand crawler with like uh, a few jowls right. in there." Like, there's a friends, there's a mad about you. Just any right. like apartment sitcom, there is that possibility in that giant fortress um, that they live in. But this brings us to you know, you know, not it's a it's a smallish aside that happens in the show so that we see the razor's crest completely stripped. Then the Ugnaught thankfully um, is around to sort of help negotiate. Uh, uh, so this is more Nick Nolte as an Ugnaught, which is just absolutely fantastic. He helps the Mandalorian negotiate with the Jawas about getting back his stuff after him disintegrating many of them in, in, a, in a foiled attack on the sand crawler to kind of stop them. Um, but we get to this moment and uh, he has to negotiate to get an egg. They want an egg. Some We don't yeah. know what it is. It's some kind of sacred thing. Um, and we get an egg and he has to go and find this egg, uh, which is protected by a giant rhinoceros animal. And as he's <laughs> going to do that, he, he kind of comes off a little bit worse for wear, this gigantic, you know, uh, triceratops looking sort of rhino creature just batters the living daylights out of our poor Mando. Uh, and then something happens. Yeah. Yeah. The sequence is a lot of fun. Uh, the rhino creature, it's kind of like hairy too. Uh, I, I like online mentioned that it looks like a reek, which is the creature that uh, kind of comes after Anakin and attack the clones. Yes. Um, just kind of like these big tusky, I don't know, <laughs> things that look like they're going to just eat you. And uh, yeah, I was like, do rhinos lay eggs? I guess in Star Wars they do. So um, it was, we're redefining. Uh, yeah, so we're, we're redefining what can be milked, what can lay eggs. This is good in Star Wars. True. Yeah, and as soon as we, uh, yeah, as soon as we saw that creature, I got really excited because it's again, it's like another action beat. Um, also, I think worth noting up until this moment, up until we see Nick Nolte's character again, I believe the episode had no dialogue. So I think the no. first half of, you know, there's noise and stuff, obviously, but there's not, there's no talking, which. It's very westerny. Also, uh, we talked a lot about the genre last week, and I feel like that was really cool to like go back and watch it and be like, "Wow, they're telling so much without saying anything." Uh, that's a real, real mark of confidence. Once again, but yeah, no. So this moment, obviously, the the real standout of the scene is that in order to protect the Mandalorian little baby Yoda uses the force, and not just uses the force a little bit, but uses the force <laughs> in a very extreme way by 
physically or mentally, I guess, lifting this reek like creature into the air uh, and, you know, giving the Mandalorian an opportunity to, to get away from him. And yeah, I think it's kind of funny. My very first thought was, are people going to call the baby a Mary Sue? Because (laughs) it's just a baby and it can, it can move. No. Yeah. Get fucking Max Um, Landis away from this episode. He's not allowed to do a recap. It's done. I know it was the very first thing that came to my mind. Cause I was like, people were so mad that Ray could like move rocks in the last Jedi. Like, what mm-hmm. are they going to think about this? You know, toddler that can uh, lift an entire space rhino. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was a really cool moment. Obviously they, it was kind of teased earlier with the, the possible force healing. So I think we, you know, that's at the stage for the reveal that he is truly force sensitive, but yeah, seeing that was cool. And it, it not only, you know, we talked about it also kind of being, you know, this intrinsic sort of quality that he has, but it also shows that it takes a lot, a lot out of him. He passes out right after he lifts this big guy and it's kind of knocked out for the rest of the episode. So, you know, the force is something that he can use very well, but that because he's so little, maybe or so young, it really uh, kind of sucks his life out of him. So, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's it's, uh, it's a taxing it's a taxing thing. It's it's such a great scene. It's um, yeah. he, you know, Mando gets absolutely trampled, and then when Baby Yoda does that, it's a it kind of like it's it's an insanely great payoff. And when when he's just sort of completely, you know, completely spent, um, and he's lying back, the it's clear that Mandalorian has no clue what the hell is going on. And it's sort of that genuine surprise. Like I, I try and remember as a kid what it was like when you watch Yoda pull Luke's X-Wing out of a Dagobah swamp and just going mm-hmm. like, Oh shit. Like he is, <laughs> he is the most powerful. Like at that, at that point, that was the very, that was the very boundaries that we'd ever understood of what the force could do. So I, I feel like, I feel like it's just such a nice world when you're, when you're sort of empathizing with Mando as this outsider has no clue what's going on to sort of be in his wheelhouse and be like, this is, this is, this is as far as it's gotten. This is as far as it's, it's, it's happened with us. But so like the episode, as, as we come out of this great scene, like he finds, he, he foils the rhino, um, with, with a, with a dagger to the side of the head, which is pretty gnarly. Um, a very <laughs> awesome uh, shot at the end. And he goes and collects an egg. Again, a hairy, gross look, like the most gross looking <laughs> egg you've ever seen. And I'm sure that there's going to be a purchasable version of it very soon for, for you to give to your children for Christmas time. But then um, <laughs> he takes it back to the Jawas and it's the grossest like joint egg yolk eating thing I've ever seen. Like they're all just <laughs> nomming the egg to death. Just num, 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 num. It's so gross. And uh, and he gets all of his parts of his ship back, um, the Razor's Crest, and he heads along with Ugnaught. And it's kind of this cool thing where these guys like pure process, just like reassemble, um, you know, and yeah. sh- shows off the Ugnaught skill set, like, you know, goes in and just like reassembles the whole damn ship for him to head off. And, uh, and little baby Yoda is just sort of, you know, blissfully sleeping this, you know, you know, this long, long sleep as they're doing it together. Yeah, um, the egg thing definitely like made me think of a Cadbury egg almost, and they just yes. kind of hack into it, and this oh like you know milky yolk comes out. Yeah, and it's so funny. It's like, what does this like egg yolk do for the job? <laughs> is it like magical restoration or something? I don't know because they were 
or do they just want to eat it? I don't know. Maybe they just are like food smells. I, I, or something. Look, I think you've but, pro- um, I think you proved it. Star Wars has definitively proven just how disgusting a Cadbury cream egg is. Anyone who's listening, you're all gross if you like them. They are disgusting. Thank you very much. That is my TED talk. Uh, oh. We can move. We can move. <laughs> we can move on. That's very controversial. I love Cadbury eggs, oh so that is not God. the official stance of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that is not the official stance. Yeah, I love that. That's good. That is not the official stance. Okay, that's a that's a debate for another time. Excuse me. Get your presumptuous ass out of my seat. But now that this brings yeah, me, yeah. this brings me a huge question. So last week, one of our segments we talked about was the Phoebe Waller Bridge. Um, favorite destination. We've been at one destination. So I think this segment of the show, I just really wanted to talk through. Are we on Tatooine, Lint? Yeah, I don't know. Cause I, I did not think that in the first episode, I felt like if it was Tatooine, we would have had some kind of like marker or they would have made a bigger deal out of it. But after this, you know, from what we know, I'm pretty sure the Jawas are native to Tatooine. Yes. So, I mean, it's obviously possible that they can be on other planets, but being a sand crawler and stuff and then and you know it's it is a desert <laughs> kind it's of a desert planet. planet um and, and yeah what, even though we're in a cliffier part yeah it's got some different geography like it's got that more sort of where r2d2 was captured um at the beginning of a new hope yeah. landscape um you know more rocky crags he's heading out of the pure desert and into the sort of um the the, the shale all the all the sort of broken up rock and, and the little mountainous bits but the whole time i'm just going well despite even what we know about Jawas being native to Tatooine, I was just like, we know that this is in the outer rim. And one thing we know about Tatooine, it's a place where people go to hide. And it's a place where like, if you have an established, you know, foothold, like whether it's, whether it be a moisture farm or whether it be uh, like a little house that's staring down into a valley, et cetera, like your valley is your valley in Tatooine. And it was really cool. Yeah, And what led me, without them sort of explicitly saying that it was Tatooine, when Agnaught says, like, you brought peace to my valley, like, I feel like that's a, firstly, a huge Western genre trope, which is like, and and, and, mm-hmm. not, and not and I don't say that in an insulting way. It's like, a, that's the kind of thing about the West where it feels boundless on the frontier is like, literally, sometimes you've got these people coming in just to protect you in your little patch. You know, we don't care what the, the operations of the world are. And I think the comparisons to Good, the Bad and the Ugly are pretty fitting in that, you know, there's a whole there's a whole revolutionary war that's happening in the background of um, in the good, the bad and the ugly, but these three guys don't care. You know, they're just going about their business. And so I think that that's, what's cool about Mando here is that, you know, we're just going into a little patch of this dirt that where there's no peace, but you know, in the terms of scale, it's, you know, it could totally just be another part of Tatooine that we've never explored. Yeah, that would feel very in keeping kind of with what the show's doing so far also, which is kind of showing us familiar things, but in a, a new context, you know, we've seen a lot of these aliens before, but not in this way. And so, yeah, I think, I think that would be really in keeping with it. And I would be excited. I don't know if we'll ever even find out. Like no. <laughs> The show hasn't been doing, like we talked about last week, the show hasn't really been like, you know, there's no markers telling us where we are at any point. So it might just be like a fun Easter egg. We find out later, like, Oh, that was on Tatooine the whole time. Um, an Easter egg in an episode yeah. where Joe is <laughs> not a giant cabri egg. That's got hair all over it. Right. A sacred one, apparently, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. And then I really loved, um, just that like montage that you mentioned too of them kind of assembling the razor crest again it was a really good uh, use of time and it was also a really good use of star wars fade <laughs> you yes. know how it uh the kind of fade in and fade out the kind so of many cross that, dissolve, uh, so many cross dissolves so yeah. many yeah 
it was awesome. Uh, I just, I loved that whole sequence. It's also when we find out too that um, Quill, I believe is uh, the, the Ugnaught's name, played by Nick Nolte, that he, yeah, like he has his own valley, whatever, but he also doesn't want to join the team, which is an interesting thing. Like he doesn't want to join the crew to help with the Razor Crest, which means that it, uh, it that's me implied that the Mandalorian is putting together some kind of crew. <laughs> like yes. he offers them this spot. So I do wonder if like, each week, maybe the the adventures coming up will like end with him encountering somebody who joins the team. Maybe I don't know. Um, that was a nice little tease, though. That you know, the Mandalorian's not totally opposed to working with other people if it surfaces him in some way. Yeah, and um, and also if they're good. And so the Ugnaughts, like he's like, oh, this is gonna yeah. take a month. And, and and you know, we know about Ugnaughts. They've you know been put in service, and they're they're mechanics, and they're you know they're they're tinkerers. And so he's just like, no, 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 we'll get this back together if you're gonna help. We can get yeah. this back together pretty quickly. And so he whips that all together pretty quickly. And then the beautiful Racer's Crest exists again, which is nice. And I feel like a more classic <laughs> Star Wars moment, you know, maybe if Han Solo and Chewie were helping out the Mando is that like he'd start to fly off and like, you know, a panel of the ship would fall off as he was flying through the air. Like I was totally <laughs> expecting that to happen <laughs> towards the end, but clearly right. the Ugnaught is a better craftsman than uh, some of the... Uh, the the pilots uh, slash self proclaimed mechanics of some other rogues and scoundrels in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, I also really like that character just because to me he's the the one that we've met the like the aside from Baby Yoda that feels the most pure hearted. You know, he actually re- just really was helping him the whole time. I, I was like in the first one, I was kind of maybe waiting for a reveal that he was going to do something to Placidus or something, you know, like kind of pull the rug out from underneath him and, oh, he's a bad guy too. But no, I think he, so far, he seems like he's just genuinely a, a helpful, kind character. And I like little touches like that in, a, in worlds like this where like it's so everyone's evil, <laughs> you know, it's nice to yeah. have, it's nice to have a little heart in there also. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit more Uncle Owen Lars of him, you know, like how he's like lived on a moisture yeah. farm, got along with the Jawas, like, kept his peace you know he's he's only got a real problem with the people who are coming there to disrupt right so yeah no he was really cool right. I, I, um he was really cool so before we before we dive into you know uh, i think a, a couple of the final segments of this show like um i'm gonna i'm gonna play for you guys uh, so part of part of the research of the show this week i discovered that uh, and, I, and I th- i'm sure i'd heard it before but Patton oswalt uh did a famous uh comedy bit um in in one of his specials where he talked about Nick Nolte making a Star Wars movie so much better. In fact, he was talking about Nick Nolte almost being cast as Han Solo and how ridiculous and wonderful and great that would be. And so uh, we just wanted to shout out and say, if you guys haven't heard of this before, we're just going to cut a little clip in to let you hear about it. But Patton Oswalt, just like the Simpsons did and proved that uh, Trump was going to be the president of the United States, Patton Oswalt has like thrown this idea of Nick Nolte being into Star Wars out in the universe and the universe has replied. You almost got the part of Han Solo and just missed it at the last minute? Nick Nolte. That would have made it a 10 times better movie. Nick Nolte is my favorite actor ever. Because he always looks like he was like roused from a really bad hangover and just kind of pushed towards the camera. And he just kind of died. He's just great with his gut hanging out over the pistol belt and just not really committing to the whole idea of it. Nah, held you back and go fix a goddamn hyperdrive something. Now, Linz, after people have heard that, I need to ask, do you can you remember of anyone 
else that maybe is like a contemporary of John Favreau that has fan cast Star Wars in their life that we need to go and find? Uh, we need to go and research their back catalog and say, who could have John Favreau listened to in like a comedy special um, that is like said this person needs to be in Star Wars? Uh, you know, Sam Jackson, uh, uh, like on that talk show where he kind of got himself cast as Mace Windu. Um, right. where, where, where do we, who's next? Who's, who's potentially next that we need to start uncovering? Oh gosh, I have no idea. Uh, I don't know comedies, comedians that well. Um, I'm sure there's, you know, been like some other offhanded bit that will eventually, you know, get someone cast. None come to mind, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'll be really interested. Maybe, you know, there's, since he referenced the fact that Nick Nolte auditioned for, uh, for the character of Han Solo. We also know that Kurt Russell auditioned for the character of Han Solo. So will Kurt Russell be in Star Wars at some point? I feel oh, like that's a possibility. Definitely a possibility. I, I feel like I feel like someone who might be in Star Wars that kind of I think fans would enjoy. And I'm not sure if you've ever seen this, but it's good for us to talk about on this show is there's a famous recut that Topher Grace did of the yeah. original trilogy. Uh, oh, sorry, the um, uh, the prequel trilogy rather the retelling Anakin's story that kind of turned three movies into, I think it was like 90 minutes, um, uh, sort of like abridging Anakin's story and like uh, cutting out all the, the B plots and just focusing on this and doing things as flashbacks, etc. And so I feel like, um, I feel like Topher Grace is a guy that's going to be on this show. Did you ever see that cut? Lit? I have not seen the cut. I have seen that. He also did a really like awesome trailer where he cut together all of the, the saga movies um that it's just like five minutes long or something and it's it goes through everyone and i remember seeing that and being like Topher Grace," <laughs> and yeah. I, I wasn't aware of the the cut that he had done before until then so yeah Topher grace is like a huge star wars fan and i'm very surprised he hasn't been in anything yet so yeah i feel like it's a really good possibility especially with like the horatio sands last week and stuff like i can see Topher grace popping in and playing like an alien or or some guy in a cantina or something in the show eventually and <laughs> the the only other big actor that I know is Christopher Walken. So you talked about mm-hmm. you talk you, he actually auditioned for Han Solo in Star Wars as well. So I mean, look, if there can be a world where Werner Herzog and Christopher Walken are in Star Wars, <laughs> I think the Mandalorian is it. Like, I mean, let's go, let's yeah. go, guys. Um, he doesn't have to play himself; he can be an alien, but I would hope it's an alien that kind of looks like him. Like it, like they've done with Nick right. Ugnaught. I mean, and if the internet is good to us, Lindsay, and anyone who is listening likes this show, can someone please get the Ugnaught and put it in Nick Nolte's mugshot? Like, can we just, that, that, that needs to happen. If it hasn't already happened I'm with, gonna the start, hair. with the hair all out, we need it in Nick Nolte's mugshot ASAP, ASAP. It might be my, I'm- my new profile pick. I think if, if that exists. Yeah, I feel like if that does not exist already, that someone is working on that right now. <laughs> it's got to be. <laughs> get, um, get on that immediately. Surprise of the week, Linz, has to be that our little clone baby Yoda, Yoda species that he is well in touch with the force was your big surprise of the week. He's engaging with the wound or was it the, the force use or was it just seeing some jowers? <laughs> I think for me, you know, obviously the, the scenery lifts up the, 
the rhinoceros thing is super cool and that does feel like the big reveal moment but I, I think the wound healing bit is uh that was or you know the attempt to heal the wound that was the part that really like got my gears going you know that's because that I feel like that was the first real hint that he had the force and so yeah that's the moment that stands out for me especially because he was also just so cute in that part oh, man, <laughs> it so definitely cute. sells a moment yeah. What, my, what about you? My surprise of the week was just the Jawas. The minute I saw that sand crawler, I was so excited. Like I couldn't, I, 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 I was giddy. Like I was like, oh yes. And then it turning into, <laughs> as you so aptly put, like the video game Mando moment and him not getting the hero moment. There's so many great, you know, it feels like that kickoff of sand crawler is the kickoff every horse you've seen your heroic cowboy take, like yeah. in the middle of the movie. You know, like he gets kicked off the horse and then he has to dust himself off and figure it out. But I just, yeah, that that for me, seeing the sand crawler, thinking now that this might be Tatooine and what that means for the series coming up, that was my huge surprise of the week. So I was completely stoked with that um, uh, the entire time. Linz, who's our MVP? Yeah, for the week? I think my MVP is Nick Nolte as Quill, just because he's, like I was saying before, I think he's very, he's pure of heart. It feels like we might not see him again. It felt like kind of a send off. I mean, I'm sure he'll pop up at some point, but it felt like these were kind of his two episodes. And, uh, you know, obviously I want to say Baby Yoda, but I feel like I can't just say that every week. So (laughs) I'm going to send it. Yeah, I'll give it to the guy who's probably like going to be gone for a while. Look, I I think... um the MVP this week is the reclamation of the Cabri cream egg as not a disgusting thing uh, by you, Linz, um, and uh, and by Jawas and uh, by the Star Wars universe and their endorsement. Um, and if and if we can eat anything at the galaxy's edge, um, hopefully it's a giant hairy egg with delicious goodness Ooh, inside yeah. um, uh, at some point. But yeah, no, my um, my my winners for the week were the like my MVPs were the Jawas. They were just so funny because I love silly agents of chaos like they just totally yeah like i i love i love that sometimes in a series that you can you know usually there are these huge like uh series defining villains or there's these you know interesting things that they're like laying the groundwork for and and then i just love that scavengers completely like someone stealing a car or breaking into your car or something ruins it and so there's like that uh ruins your day like there's just something about that silliness and relatability um of that whole sequence that i was like i'm in i really really like how how this is completely disrupted i'm sure the show is going to get bigger the scope's going to get crazier there's going to be a gnarly crew of bounty hunters we have to come across and you know these people fighting for this little guy but i i i just dug that the jawas stripping a ship down um was uh, was basically the whole initiator for the entire episode yeah, it was great. I also love that, you know, we have Pedro Pascal as this, uh, you know, masked kind of silent type. And so it's fun to have all of these quirky characters around him that kind of balance that. Because I think that was one of my worries with the show initially. And kind of my worry in the first half of the, the first episode was just like, how do you make this guy interesting when he's not really giving you much, you know? And so I think really, yeah, like juxtaposing him with all of these, you know, Jawas, Baby Yodas, all of these things with all this personality, I think is a really good and a really smart way of of telling this story. And it's also funny because it's like that whole strong silent type, like, you know, man with no name, very few men of few words, cowboy-esque hero that we've seen um, across now, like, you know, splayed across different genres or reflected in a whole bunch of different genres. It's so cool to just like that. He's just not a great communicator. And so, like, he has to get an yeah. Ugnaught to help him negotiate with Jawas because all he wants to do is kill. Like, and so you can see him 
that's a great, you know, for me, that reflects a great character motivation. It's like, this is a guy who's not a great communicator. Like his, his profession, he's kind of a guy who is much more in line with what is the, what is the task you need to give me? I will negotiate the money. I'll go kill this thing or retrieve this thing or do whatever I need to do. And then I'm coming back. Like I'm not, I'm not here to talk about it or discuss it or negotiate. And so it's just so funny that like this little Ugnaught who's like, you know, I have spoken, like speaks basically in riddles is the guy who has to speak for him um, to make this actually work. So yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's very cool. And I think that those opening up moments, like you said of, you know, with Quill and, 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 and him saying be part of the crew is that like this, these are people who are going to help flesh out, what he's thinking, feeling, and like, we're going to hear his voice. Even if we don't hear him talk, we're going to hear his voice reflected in the, the dialogue of the people around him. So it's going to be really rad. And there was one little note in the final bit with Quill of like, go and reclaim your bounty. I have spoken. Yeah. And it just was like this really like this moment of, does he know this guy? Is he going to get him the bounty? That's a, like, it was a great little question at the end. Like, is, is the Mando going to take this Yoda clone back or is, or is this a moment in time where he's not going to take him back? Yeah. It's really curious. Cause I've been wondering that since, you know, the end of the first episode, I'm just like, do we, what do we think he's going to do? Does he have his mind made up? You know, the second that he sees that baby, you know, does he know, okay, I'm going to protect this thing. Or is he still debating that himself? Uh, I think that's definitely the question going forward and what the show wants us to be asking. Uh, I, I feel like he's got to, you know, protect the baby. I feel like that's just naturally what I would assume would happen here, but who knows? Like he is also a, a rogue, so he might, he might sell it for his, his bounty, but yeah, I don't know. What do you think is going to happen? It's, it's tough. It's going to be, uh, I feel like, if he wasn't going to get a crate of Beskar, that it just wouldn't even be a question. Right. But I think that that's going to be the, does he do it for the Beskar and try the double cross? Maybe. Hard to predict. Hard to predict. Um, But it's going to tell us a lot about the character, right? Like, and I think that it's going to tell us a lot about the show. Like if the show has the balls for him to hand over this baby Yoda and for us to be like, (gasps) you did it. Like, I think that that's going to actually make the show, might make the show more interesting, but it's, it, it, you know, but it's, it's, I think it's nonetheless, I think whatever decision he makes, he, you know, he's in for some, he's in for some interesting times ahead, our friend Mando. Yeah. It's also, it says a lot of, it, it potentially has huge implications for just the whole world because if this baby Yoda isn't handed over and isn't killed, where is he? You know, like at some yeah. point he's got to come back and, uh, that seems like, you know, we know that Ray and Kylo are kind of the awakening of the force again. So it feels like the baby has to die at some point or at least, you know, I don't know. Or, I feel like there's or to a be lot. In, but- or to be in hiding. Or to be in hiding. Yeah, like, yeah. And tinkering on the sides for the, to, for, to allow these other force wielders to emerge. A similar thing that happened to Luke where Luke, you know, goes and basically cuts himself off from the force. So like how much does that have an yeah. implication onto what happens with Ray? And Kylo, you know, as the balances um, uh, start to, you know, tip, tip either way. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, it's going to be interesting. I have so many feelings about this baby. I just like, I, I need him to be okay. 
<laughs> I'm much the same. I'm like, oh my god, it's so adorable. Please don't do anything to it. Please. But but that's the whole like. It's such a great device. You know, it's been used in yeah a million movies. But you know, I think when you've got this little little cute um this little cute and fragile thing, or questionably fragile as we as we go through the series, um and then all these rough you know badass bounty hunters and killers. Um, it makes for a nice little. Uh, uh, it's you know it makes for a nice little thing it was actually the best thing in that terrible Fast and Furious movie where Jason Statham like beats up a whole room of guys while he's carrying a baby like um, that's like it's like it's got it's got you know that's probably the first time Jason Statham's been mentioned on a Star Wars podcast but like it's got that it's got that kind of that fun thing of like, it could be totally played for fun, which it, which it is in some moments where, you know, after he gets a bit battered um, uh, after the Jawa chase and there's those cute little exchanges where like get back in your little floating crib. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like the implications to the whole rest of the series, which we're now starting to think about like, and, and watching all these tendrils um, throw themselves to in the future to the rise of Skywalker and all the other things that happen and even leading up into the force awakens. It's just like, Oh, this is awesome. I can't wait. Yeah, it's, it's super exciting. It's so much like, you know, we talked, the show's only, this episode was only 32 minutes, I think, total. And, you know, that's including credits and stuff. I think altogether it was under 30 minutes. And it still gave us so much to to discuss, even with this little this little action kind of standalone episode almost, it feels like. Uh, yeah, there's, there's just so much world building and so much exciting stuff going on. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about this week? No, I, I'm excited. I can't wait. We're back in the Razor's Crest. We've got a baby on board. I think that that's exactly where I want to be um, for the next week. Yeah, I also I did want to point out, since I feel like someone will mention this to us, but uh, this episode once again canonizes the holiday special because the weapon that, uh, that our titular uh, Mandalorian uses is apparently the same one that Boba Fett uses in the holiday special, that kind of thing that zaps away the Jawas. So uh, I don't know what it's called, but I feel like John Favreau is just really like, established himself as a huge holiday special fan. So. And, 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 and Favreau, even this week in the news, sorry, I, we should have mentioned it. He's already saying, I would like a second holiday special. Yeah. He's yeah. Like, I would like to remake <laughs> one. And I'm like, Favreau, you madman. But, but, but at the same time, I'm kind of like really morbidly curious about what a Star Wars holiday special in 2019 slash 2020 looks like. So, Whatever, go for it, my friend. We, they need someone like they. What they really I, need is they need a Harrison Ford who just doesn't want to be there. Like they need someone yeah, yeah. like that. Like I was, Put Adam Driver in a holiday. Special. Yeah, like Adam. Oh my god, Adam Driver, full <laughs> Kylo kit, like wet as, like on that bridge in the trailer, and just really annoyed that he has to be there. Like thinking, God, what other amazing filmmaker could I be working with right now? And I'm filming this. Yeah, he ne- we need someone with that face. We need someone with that face for the, yeah. for any future Star Wars holiday specials. We definitely do. I would watch that. Yeah, would well, watch. Uh, yeah, I think that <laughs> I think that about uh, does it for this week. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with even more good stuff. I'm so excited to see how long this next episode is. Uh, I'm excited to see if you know some of the cast that hasn't shown up yet starts appearing there's definitely a lot of people to get to so yeah i'm just really excited for more mandalorian
We'll catch you on another episode of The Take, The Mandalorian, as soon as it drops, uh, because as you guys know, they're just dropping as they're dropping. So we'll uh, catch another episode. Linz, thank you so much. And thank you guys for listening. If you want to, please subscribe, rate, review the show. If you want to get in touch with Lindsay or I, it's at Lindsay Romaine on Twitter and at One Blake Minute on Twitter. Um, or you can go to flicks.com.au and you can check out all the show notes, everything that's on there, and then uh, and always linking back to a few articles and awesomeness that Lindsay is pulling together for everything she's doing over at Nerdist, but uh, we'll catch you on another episode of The Take, The Mandalorian soon. This podcast is brought to you by flix.com.au, Australia's number one movie and cinema site.